directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Thought for the day, a mind without purpose will wander in dark places. Hello historians and welcome to episode 88 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you join us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems created by Fantasy Flight Games and now by Ulysses Spieler, or Ulysses North America, depending on which you prefer. And uh, yeah, each episode we cover the developments in the game, what's happening with it, there's a bit of news coming up obviously with the new game being developed, but before we jump too far into episode, let's talk about our last fortnight of gaming. Yeah, I think we did get a D and D game in. Yeah, a little bit of D and D. Yeah, I think our group has managed to move past the social struggles that we talked about during our last episode. But yeah. uh, I also ran a game of Shadowrun, uh, Shadowrun Missions, at uh, my local gaming store. It's funny actually because the particular—I'm not going to name the mission I ran—but the particular mission I ran is what I feel my least favorite. It's the most lazily written. Uh, yeah, it's got a, a combat scene in the in the story which is completely incongruous with what's going on just for the sake of throwing in a combat. Like, pretty much the group gets told, come and meet me here so I can give you a mission. And they get attacked by people unrelated to the mission on the way there, just like local gangers decide to attack them. Yeah. Uh, because, why not? And because, the, why not? And, and the only effect of that is basically that the mission, person in the mission at the end says, oh, you're a bit late. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, but it, it, the important thing is the group that played had a good time, uh, yeah. which I think is a good indictment because it means that even if it's a terrible mod... And the group has a good time. It can only go one way from there. But uh, yeah, that's really been it for gaming. So talking about today's episode, uh, we are a little bit time poor today because we've got stuff in our various households to get back to. But we're going to pick up where we left off from last episode at the end. Uh, we had our little history of uh, the Dark Imperium, or the getting to Dark Imperium. Uh, originally, this was going to be part two of two, but that's all changed now. This is going to be part two of three now. Because ah. as I sat down to make the notes for today, I realised, you know, once I'd filled about three pages of notes, I'm like, this is too much, I'm going to have to stop now. So today we're going to be covering from the fall of Cadia through until the start of the Indominus Crusade. Okay, that's, that's a fair decent amount. Yeah, there's enough in there to, I think, give, a, give us a nice episode. We'll also talk about some news in the 40k world as well, both Ulysses and GW in general. Yep. And uh, yeah, it'll be maybe maybe a shorter show. We'll see how it goes. Depends how verbose you are. Exactly right. Yeah, and I, and I can talk. You know, yeah. so we'll see how. If I slow down a bit, if I try not to mumble, it will probably be a lot longer. Yeah. But I tend to find the more comfortable I get, and the more I know about things, I just drop into a into a fast pace. So uh, I apologise to those listeners who struggle to keep up with me. Sometimes it's just to understand you. That's right. Yeah, it's the drawback of being the last of five children. You know, when, when I was young, if I wanted to say something, I had to say it fast or say it loud. So, and if I say it loud here, the, the, the audio will clip. So yeah. I say it fast instead. Anyway, no more wasting time. Let's get into the start of the show. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. Okay, so news-wise, uh, on the GW side, I mean, so the day before I travelled to Germany for work uh, was the day that the Astro Militarum Codex came out. Yeah. Uh, so I, I dropped into my GW store the morning I was flying out and picked up my copy of that, along with some fine cast minutes I'd ordered, so I had some reading material for the plane. 
And, and I've got to say that um, this is the latest in a string of books which has led me to put my ranty pants on when it comes to GW because we've been so complimentary about how GW has been recently. And, and I'll, I'll remain to be so. Like, I, I really think that the company has taken a really positive direction in recent years. Oh, well, great... something I actually want to say about that after yeah. you've had your little rant. So okay, no worries, okay. But... So when Eighth Edition came out, we got the, the indexes, and everybody said this is this is great. I agree, it's great. That, you know, basically there is a way with a, one or two books you can play any army that you've got. Um, all the miniatures that you previously bought are all usable now, and that we knew that there would be actual codexes coming out. And I think I was a little bit disappointed at first when I got the uh, Space Marine codex like a month out from when the index came out, and there were already substantial changes in terms of. The, the points values, the options, that sort of thing. And then I went and played my first game at a gaming store against Eldar, and like I had access to stratagems and relics, and that's something that he had re-rolls. That was basically it, you know. Uh, and then I look at the fact that every single codex so far has brought out some rule, it's you know, got a special name in each, each rule for each unit, that basically says that troops in this army are better at holding objectives because they don't, you know, even if you don't have the most number of most number of figures, you still hold the objective unless the other side also has this rule. So effectively, what have we got so far? We've got Marines, Chaos Space Marines, Admech, Grey Knights, Imperial Nurgle. Guard, Nurgle. Yep. Their troops hold objectives over anyone else's Eldar, Tau, Necrons, and such. You know, but it will be safe to assume. That Everyone is getting this rule. Everyone's getting that rule. So why do we need to wait till the codex comes out before they say, oh yeah, troops hold objectives better than non-troops? Uh, it's a disadvantage for those for those who haven't got their, their codex out yet. I don't know, I mean, what do you think, Mark? Is that, am I am I uh, the wrong tree? Not having your codex out is always a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just glad that this time around, everyone's getting their codexes out pretty quickly. It's not like previous editions where some armies wouldn't even receive a codex in that edition. Dark Elder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't think it's a huge deal, and I think probably when Chapter Approved comes out around December, they'll probably have in there a rule that says all troops in all armies have this special rule. Okay. But until then, yeah, it is. Really, they should have, during their game testing, they should have seen that they needed that rule, and they should have put it into the main rule book there and then. Yeah. I guess the question, I mean, you also get stuff like stratagems in the codexes too, so they couldn't have put all that stuff in there, also be no point in the codexes, I guess, other than a bit of extra artwork because the index books don't have much in terms of artwork or miniature galleries. Yeah. Or fluff, for that matter. But uh, I don't know, I just find, uh, look, and to be honest, the game only came out in June, and it's now October, and we've got out, what, five, six codexes now. Yeah. And then we've, we've now, and we know we've got definitely Eldar coming next, and because of leaks. It looks like Tyrion's are in possibly even the same month as Eldar. Yeah. So, you know, they are really churning the books out pretty well as Quick well. Quick as so they can, yeah. That's it, yeah. So, look, I mean, I was still enjoying it, still playing it. It was just one of I had to have that little rant. Yeah. Now, what did you want to say? Um, it was just about the fact that the company's doing well, and it is actually. Um, recently, I was having a chat with a friend, and he was saying that about four or five years ago, he purchased some stock in Games Workshop. Yeah. Because he always believed you can't complain about the product if you don't own something in it, you know. Yep. By owning a little bit, he's he's entitled to a louder voice in complaining about how crappily the company's run at the time. Yeah. And his uh, financial expert person who used to help them out with their taxes always used to complain about the stock doing nothing. Yeah. Lazy stock that's not doing anything, and always urged them to get rid of it. Yeah. 
And then over the last 18 months, it's gone up about 400%. <laughs> and now, the, now there are specialists complaining that they didn't buy enough stock five years ago because it is substantial increase in their stock numbers because yeah. the company is doing very well. Okay. It's doing very healthy now. I mean, a few years ago, I think we actually had a discussion about their stock prices when they dropped really low. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We were talking about too many bricks and mortar stores and all this sort of thing. But releasing a decent product and actually following through on what they said they were going to do, plus licensing out their stuff to computer games, seems to have worked. Yeah, I mean, recent shareholders have nothing to complain about, I don't think. Oh, I don't it's, think so. No, no that's it. No. Aside the fact that they could use their shares for only by a few CW figures, probably, but uh, <laughs> you can I, I, trade I, one one share for one model. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that um, that no matter how around the company, the argument about the value of their products compared to what they pay, what you pay for them, will always be an ongoing argument. Absolutely, but I mean, I always compare it to other luxury game toy product type things like this. Lego. Yeah. Lego is vastly more expensive than GW stuff. That's it. I mean. I suppose the only thing to point out is the big news from, I think, just yesterday is the announcement that uh, Games Workshop is partnering with FanPro. So if you're not familiar with FanPro, FanPro... Whiskits. Sorry, sorry Whiskits. Whiskits. So Whiskits and FanPro used to be connected. So that's why I'm confused myself. Whiskits, sorry. If you're not familiar with Whiskits, Whiskits uh, got on the map for Mage Knight. Mage Knight was a miniatures war game where you had the... Um, the rules built into the miniature itself, like um, emblems on the actual miniature as such, uh, and then that was then gave rise to Hero Clicks. Yep. So Hero Clicks was where you had known heroes from Marvel, from DC, from other comic universes that had little sort of discs built into the base that, as you they took wounds, you rotated those discs, and they then gave you different scores for uh, strength, strength, speed, yeah, skill, etc. You know, so the Hulk got actually got stronger as he got more injuries as such. You know, almost like the um, the degrading uh, stat lines on monsters and vehicles in, in 40k. Yeah. Uh, they also at one point had the MechWarrior or Battletech license. Oh, they, they don't get me started on that. MechWarrior Dark Age. Yeah, um, that, absolute garbage. No one wants to play farming and mining mechs. No one goes, oh, wow, let's play MechWarrior. I want to go out and get in my farming mech. But if you're one of the lucky ones that actually did get a proper, you know... A real uh, mech? Yeah, you were like, whoa, I've won the lottery. So, <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, WizKids has been around for a long time. They have done a lot of stuff in the past supporting other companies with ancillary products um, along the lines of cards and prepaid miniatures. Yeah. So we've heard that they're going to get more involved in the board game lines yeah. for GW, including Relic reprinting and, Relic. That's it, and yeah. Curse of Dracula. Oh, yes. Yeah. Plus so. something they call dice-building games. I'm not exactly sure what a dice-building game oh, okay. is. I, I can show you a few. I've got, I mean, that things like... Um, uh, there, there are a few like, games like the Blood Bowl games and stuff in the past that are built around sort of... That they almost use sometimes like Yahtzee-style mechanics. Uh, but okay. effectively... Oh, actually, a good example is the new... Um, there's a Star Wars game out from FFG which is all dice building. So effectively what you're doing is by using certain characters, you get to bring certain dice into your hand. Uh, and the more dice, the more different colored dice you roll, the better your outcomes are from turn to turn as such. So, you know, it's about, yeah, odd, odd little games, but they are quite popular, especially in tournament play. Okay. Uh, and I think that really, if, you, if you're in the board game slash LCG slash CCG slash TCG, etc. market, then tournaments are where you want to be, you know, ever since the old days of Legend of the Five Rings, there's been huge, or Magic even, Magic, there's been yeah. huge markets for those sorts of games, so, yeah. but, um, 
Yeah, so interesting sort of news there on that side. Uh, I guess on the other GW side, anything else we can really point out? I mean, obviously you mentioned already that Eldar are seeing the light of day again soon. I don't know whether... We didn't really see any new models with the Astro Militarum release, did we? we saw no, but they got a few things recently anyway with the... the uh, and they gave them the uh, Torox and... Oh, okay, the, like from, from, the, from the Tempestus Militarum. Tempestus Militarum, yeah. I would hope that they will be releasing plastic kits for the major lines that they've, they've got, like the Valhallans... Something other than just boring Cadians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that being said, though, so one of the things that was pointed out about the Astro Militarum book that was, I think, a bit of a divergence with GW was how much representation there was of female guard. So there were at least probably half a dozen pieces of artwork in the book that featured female guard, especially as you flick through the sample uh, regiments, basically. Uh, And this apparently has been part of GW's ongoing policy to be more inclusive in, in the game moving forward. Yeah. There's so, nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah. doesn't matter what gender bits you got, everyone dies just as well for the guard. <laughs> yeah, although depending on which fluff you read, a lot of the Imperial Guard does tend to segregate. You know, they either have all male or all female units, but that's, that's, oh, not, yeah. that's not the... When you're as big as the Imperial Guard is, there's never a true rule as such. Yeah, yeah. but it's just, in general, that seems to be the, the, the case. I mean, I still can't find... Years ago, I bought... Um, a upgrade pack that was not a GW pack, but it was obviously made to go with Imperial Guard. That was basically ten female guard torsos and heads. Yeah. And I built one at the time to use for one of the PCs in our Dark Heresy game. And um, what I did by doing that was I took a box of ten guard and I took away a set of legs and a set of arms, you know, and a, and a weapon and a base. And now I want to build that squad. The thing, the the, the limiting factor with most of these things is legs. Yeah. So I have yeah. no spare guard legs anywhere. And so uh, I either need to um, build the rest of them together to complete that squad. All that being said, like, the way I paint that miniature is not the way I paint miniatures now. So even if I was just put that, that character in with the squad, they would look differently because I, don't, I, I wouldn't paint in the, the, car, the khaki and that sort of stuff anymore. Like, that one was just all base color, and dry, base color wash dry brush. Yeah. Now I'm getting a bit better at things like edge highlighting and, and that sort of thing, so I'm layering. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I'm torn. You know, maybe I just need to go and go one of those bit shops and buy a pair of guard legs. A pair I've, of I've guard got, legs. I've got plenty of arms to go around, plenty of weapons, plenty of bases. It's just the legs that I'm, I'm stuck on. Yeah. But, yeah um, you always end up with not enough legs. I always end up with not enough left arms. I'm not sure why. Okay, for what? For, for Chaos Space Marines or something? Yeah, or? I, I think it's because most of the box sets come with uh, a system where it's a right hand which can be set to hold a gun and the left hand which is sort of flat and open to uh, put hold, under the yeah, gun. It, yeah. But if you want to have berserkers or you, you want to model your guys with a close combat weapon and a pistol you never have enough hands so I've, I've actually taken to custom making hands okay I mean I um, noticed I looked recently at the new Primaris Intercessor box um, and so they're they're not as monopose as the ones that come in Dark Imperium for example so you sort of have like so you've got it's a box of ten it's two sprues of five so you've got five identical on each side but you can mix up the arms and so the, the body and legs that that positioning is fixed but you can put different arms on them as such and yeah. all of the arms are paired so it's like this is arms A this is arms B uh, so that way for example it's one of those setups where the hand, the left hand is actually on the gun in the right hand thing so you're basically connecting it at the wrist rather than putting the gun into the open hand like you did with the older models. Yeah. But it also does come with a whole bunch of options where the left and right arms aren't doing the same thing. 
So the right arm might have the gun pointing up at the sky, you know, in, in a ready pose, while the left hand is holding a, you know, an auspex or a knife or a grenade, that sort of stuff, you know, and you can mix and match those those arm combinations however you want. So I've seen people that have built, you know, the 10-man squads of intercessors, and it's pretty hard to tell which parts are that you have to actually look closely at the bodies and ignore the arms to work out which bits have copied from the two different sprues. No, it's not bad, though. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite clever, I think, anyway. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, so a bit of stuff there. And obviously, Tyranny's coming out, Mike. Does that make you happy? Uh, I'll wait until I see the Codex. But, yes, it's definitely a step forward that they're bringing out fairly early. Because you've gone pretty hardcore into Chaos now in terms of like, yeah, you're I mean, buying stuff from Forge World. and The, the biggest problem with my Tyranny army is it's stuff from 2nd edition all the way through to fairly recent. Yeah. Meaning that nothing is uniform. Yeah. Like, the, I've got... Second edition Ant Man Tyranid Warriors alongside fourth or fifth edition Tyranid Warriors, and they look nothing alike. They don't even look like Tyranid Warriors anymore. I mean, I'm really going to have to go through the army and get rid of some of the stuff just yeah. because it doesn't fit the theme of the army anymore. Well, it's funny it's you, a say shame. That. you say that because so I got given recently, I was at a friend's place running Numenera, and he gave me some old GW figures he had that had been lying around for ages. So. For example, he gave me two of the Phoenix Lords I didn't have, so um, uh, Fugan and uh, Karen, Karen, Karandris, the, yeah, the Striking Scorpion. That's uh, Fire Warriors. Fire, fire Dragons, fire and, dragons. Um, yeah, and, uh, and Striking Scorpions. And he also gave me five uh, Space Marine miniatures as well. Now, these were copyright 1995, according to the sprue. Uh, and so these were the classic monopose, like you know, the whole body is one piece, and the gun just sort of plugs into... The chest. The, the, the chest, exactly right, yeah. And, and then there's a backpack and a, and a base. And I thought, like, I could make these up and add another five-man combat squad to my army, but... They look shit. Yeah, they, they really they stand out now as being different and smaller. You know, they, they had the old-style flamer, you know, like the, 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 yeah, what's uh, the 30K-style flamer with the knob end and such, basically. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't, I haven't really done much with those ones, I'm afraid. But, um, I probably wouldn't yeah. use them for practicing paint schemes on. Yeah, so I'll give it to my son. He can start to learn to to do it as well. He wants to be the good guys. It's probably about the closest thing I've got for him to say. You know, these these guys are are, are good like guys. I don't know. Yeah, just but, paint uh, them up as salamanders, and they're good guys. Yeah, that's it. So the other thing I want to talk about is uh, if you do follow our social media pages, you might have observed last weekend as we we're recording that I posted a photograph from outside the offices of Ulysses Spieler in, um, in Germany. Yeah. Uh, and that's because I was lucky enough to go to Germany for my work. I was in Munich, and I touched base with, with Ross and said, Ross, I'm going to be in uh, Munich, you know, can we catch up? And uh, so where they are, just outside Frankfurt, is on the train, probably at least five and a half to six hours from Munich. And, you know, then we were talking about maybe meeting halfway, and can we meet somewhere in Stuttgart or in... Uh, Nuremberg, and I really felt bad sort of expecting Ross to jump on a train for three hours there, three hours back to catch up with me. So I said, look, I I finish up work on the Friday. I don't leave until the Saturday night from Munich. So why don't I check out my hotel a day early? I'll drive to Frankfurt on Friday night. We'll have dinner, catch up, have a chat Saturday, maybe have lunch as well, and I'll drive back to to Munich on the Saturday afternoon. And uh, yeah, we could do that. It was great. And then Ross very kindly uh, managed to organise for uh, the team over there at Ulysses to actually open up the office on the Saturday. They don't work on a Saturday normally. Uh, but I got a tour of the office 
and some other things. Uh, some other things. So um, I, I can't say any more as we are speaking now because this sometimes to be approved by GW. But there were basically uh, there were two videos recorded while I was there. One of those videos I would expect to see shortly, um, coming up on the on the Wrath and Glory site once GW approves that. And uh, once that's done, I'll be happy to talk more about that the content of that video on our next show. Uh, the second video will probably come out um, sometime later and we can go into more detail then as well. But uh, I do want to thank Ross particularly and the guys I met over there from, from Ulysses as well for uh, taking the time to spend, catch up with me. And they bought, they bought me lunch too, which is really nice as well. So, yeah, um, yeah it was a great experience to see it. Like, they're really in the middle of nowhere there. Like, I mean, like, next, pretty much next door to them is a farm. Um, like, I had, I had no mobile reception where I was, you know. So, so, so they're working <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I mean, that's okay. But, I mean, it, it, was, it was nice. Like, I mean, you've driven around Europe. You know, you're, you, you know yeah. European countryside is like. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And it was good weather, too. So it was, you know, not, nice day, sunny day, nice day for a drive. I think it took me five and a half hours to drive from Munich to, uh, to Frankfurt on the Friday night, but only three and a half hours to drive back on the Saturday. And because the traffic was light on the Saturday, I managed to get my autobahn on. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I, think I hit mid-160 k's an hour, so... We're taking miles, probably about 120, 130 miles an hour um, mm-hmm. down the autobahn. So, yeah, with, with no speed up and still being, you know, having like little Volkswagens fly past me as well. So, yeah. it's it's just, i, I got to say, I, they talk about how good the roads are. I did enjoy it, but what I did find is a lot of the drivers there were just whipping in and out of lanes without using an indicator as well. So, it didn't feel as safe as you think it might feel. Uh, for some reason, I didn't feel as safe as I thought I might drive at 160 k's an hour. Yeah, oh, <laughs> gee, I wonder why. <laughs> In a hire car. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to telling you more about what happened at Ulysses. Uh, it's great to see what happens with, with the GW approval of everything going ahead there, and I'll, I'll be speaking more about it in future shows. And also, make sure you do follow both our social media and definitely the social media of Wrath and Glory. So I, I did meet the guy at Ulysses who looks after all their social media, yep. and he's really keen to sort of you know, utilise that to, to really support the fans as well. So... Um, yeah, he'll certainly be someone that you can look forward to hearing more from as well. So, okay, excellent. That's probably it for the news. So let's, uh, shall we get into the main part of the show? Yes, indeed. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. So on to part two of our recent history of 40K, talking about uh, the lead into Dark Imperium, just to give you an idea about how the storyline is adapted and what the world is like in the setting in which you'll be playing with the new with the new RPG when it comes out. Yeah. Uh, particularly with the Imperium Nihilist campaign. Which, can I just complain? I, I, I don't, and how's your Latin, Mark? Eh. So, so they call it Imperium Nihilist for Dark Imperium. I would, I would have thought that Imperium Obscurus or Obscur- Imperium Obscura would be a better, yeah. better, better term for Dark Imperium. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. My, my, my Latin isn't fantastic. I'm just, yeah, it's just, just, a, just a minor affair. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Anyway, just to recap, where we left off last episode, uh, so Cadia had just fallen, uh, the Eye of Terror itself had exploded into the Cicatrix Maledictum, or the Great Rift, um, a nade had begun its resurrection uh, through Ivrain's opening of the Seventh Path, yep. uh, and the... Sub- I, I'd just like to say, though, yeah? your nade's resurrection of this Elder God... Yeah, or birth, it, birth, maybe. I think birth is a better choice, because it never existed before, did it? It's not... So I know all the Elder Gods were killed by Slanash. So I, I Was guess, it one of the original Elder Gods no, which no, is coming it, back? No, it, it was not. The concept, if you read the stuff they say, it's, it's, it's described as like a nascent god. 
Okay. So it's like they have all these sort of potential God forms that can exist when certain conditions are met, uh, and they don't know what those conditions are or what those forms are. So it was only that Anaid's potential existence was discovered some time ago recently by, by the Harlequins and by Eldred Uthran, um, that they were able to then sort of try to meet the conditions that would result in its but, birth, slash whatever you might want to call it as such. But it, when it's a God of life and death, you can call it you know, resurrection, you know, birth, unbirth, whatever, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the survivors of Cadia, which at the time were led by Saint Celestine, Marcel Amaric of the Black Templars, and Inquisitor Greyfax, had rendezvoused with the Inari host uh, and with Belisarius Call, uh, and had escaped the uh, the Black Legion into the Webway. Yeah. Uh, so Abaddon, who was still concerned about the visions that his sorcerers had given him, that basically Call had some form of powerful artifact had basically learned through those visions that they were making their way towards McCrag. So he basically diverted the full forces at his disposal, all the allied legions away from what they were doing at the Eye of Terror, or now the, the, the Great Rift, and diverted them to a full-scale invasion of the Ultramar subsector. Yeah. So the survivors uh, emerged from the webway onto the shrine world of um, Lapis within the Ultramar subsector, there they found that the planet itself, the, the Ultramarines garrison there, was under attack by a um, contingent of Chaos Helldrakes, which they helped to repel. Um, and they then uh, convinced those Ultramarines there they would take them to McCrag via strike cruiser. However, uh, all of the Eldar, with the exception of Evrain and the Vysark, were told to return to the webway. They, they weren't welcome to board the, um, the Ultramarines craft. Uh, so they then flew the strike cruiser to McCrag. Uh, they found the world there was already completely besieged by the Black Legion, the Iron Warriors, the Purge, and the Night Lords. So just one or two minor legions. Yeah. What's the Purge? I'm not familiar with the Purge, Mike. Is that uh, a... The Purge are Nurgle followers of Fallen Chapter, okay. and they believe essentially in complete genocide. Okay. They, they just want to kill everything. Okay, all right. So friendly, friendly folks then. Friendly folks, yeah. Uh, okay, so the the group in the strike crews managed to breach the blockade and they made their way to the Fortress of Hera, which is the location on McCrag where the body of Gulliman was uh, was interred. Yeah. So Call met with uh, an attempted well, met with Marnius Kalgar and attempted to convince him that he should be allowed access to Gulliman's body. Original initially, the Ultramarines, particularly Kalgar, were no, this is you know our sacred Primarch. You have no access to him until Call managed to reveal and, and prove that he was, in fact, over 10,000 years old, had known Gulliman during the Heresy Era, and had actually been charged with his current mission by Gulliman before his wounding by Fulgrim. Yeah. Uh, and so he then revealed that the artefacts, or artefacts, multiple, that he'd brought with him were a suit of powerful power armor that had the technology to sustain Gulliman's form despite his injuries, uh, and also the Empress Flaming Sword. Yeah. So um, I don't know where that came from. I, I heard someone say that Gulliman went and claimed it from the Emperor, from the Golden Throne himself later on, but apparently, you know, Call had it with him all along, just in a box somewhere. You know, here's your father's Flaming Sword. Um, so eventually, Call was allowed access to Gulliman, uh, along with Avrain. Uh, and so between his technology and her mastery over life and death because of her connection to. Um, the uh, the oh, the sorry the the Anaid, uh, they were able to basically resurrect the fallen Primarch, 
so there was at this point in time a sort of all-out attack against the the fortress to try and prevent this from happening. Um, thankfully, they were supported by the arrival of the Grey Knights Third Brotherhood under Grand Master Vaultus, and um, Gulman was able to be resurrected and enter the fray. Uh, and then just as just basically just as they were about to overwhelm the uh, the Imperial defenders, what, what do they call the um, what are Chaos Drop Pods called again? Um, they got like a like Hell Talons or something like that. Oh, right? the the, the uh, yeah, they are hell, yeah Hell Talons. Yeah, they basically like Ooh. launched ten of those at the forces at once, so a hundred hundred uh, death uh, sorry Black Legion Marines streamed out, but thankfully Gorman turned up just at the last minute when the when the timer hit one second and uh, started grunting everyone re-rolls to hit and re-rolls to win. Exactly right, yes. Everyone, everyone quickly got within six inches of Gorman and uh, <laughs> everything everything was good. Yeah. No, you're not going to let that live, let that go yeah. away. No. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he then went on to let a counterattack, uh, a counterattack against Chaos over the next seven months throughout the Ultramar subsector, basically routing their forces. Uh, during this time, Gulliman was observed to perform a number of miracles. Miracles, I guess. Yeah, where effectively a, a virulent Nurgle plague had been seeded into the Ultramar, and, and the plague seemed to become miraculously cured. In in Gorman's presence, basically, as he as he toured, toured around, uh, and that, that sort of led to the people of the Ultramar subsector really propagating the whole sort of god mythology of the Emperor and his his sons as well, and seeing Gorman as the next great leader of uh, of mankind. Yeah. Um, for his part, Gorman was actually quite saddened by what he saw of the Imperium and, and how much it had changed in the ten thousand years since his injury. So he then declared that it was his intention to travel to Terra to see the Emperor in whatever capacity he could and then potentially steer the, uh, the Imperium towards the light again from that point onwards. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that effectively ended what was known as the Ultramar Campaign and began what was then known as the Terran Crusade. So Gorman grabbed his followers, which included those mentioned before, Saints Lestine, etc., um, Master Amoric, Amoric. And uh, they piled aboard a number of vessels and set off. Now, because of the impact of the Great Rift, uh, the fact that they had very limited access to the Astronomicon, if any, they could only really make short, inaccurate jumps on their way to Terra. So they had multiple... It could be like an episodic TV show. Of like, yeah. each, each time they come out of a rift, yes, what's Monster of the Week in this subsector? Uh, <laughs> each time hoping that this jump will be, will be the, the last. last. Okay. Yes. Well, thanks very much, uh, Sam. Um, so when they did actually reach the edge of the Ultima Segmentum and there is the Maelstrom, um, they were then attacked by Thousand Suns forces under the direct command of Magnus the Red. Yeah. So Magnus did not engage in the fight initially. He didn't want to kill Gulliman yet. But what he did do was, while the forces battled, he enacted a ritual that actually dragged the entire crusade fleet into the Maelstrom. So, once within the Maelstrom, they were no longer attacked by a thousand suns, but were now beset by Red Corsairs. So, and Red Corsairs, are, they're an old-school warband, aren't they? They're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're um, Lufthuron. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or Tyrant of Baghdad. Yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah. He's Huron Blackheart. Huron yeah. Blackheart, yeah. yeah um, they've been around since second edition. Yeah, okay. So they've... Well, actually, no, before that, was the entire Maelstrom and the, the all of that, that's covered in original Rogue Trader books. Okay, them, yeah. Right. So uh, they, they were the ones that attacked um, the, uh, the Imperial fleet. 
although the Imperial fleet were looking victorious, um, a Lord of Change, uh, particularly strong by the name of Kairos Fateweaver, um, appeared by possessing one of the dying Red Corsairs and declared that the Crusade fleet was cursed to wander the Maelstrom forever. Uh, which did actually appear to be the case for some time. Basically, Gulliman's forces were indeed lost, seeking a way out of the Maelstrom. They did receive some guidance in the form of visions or whispers, apparently from the Eldar, um, but eventually the Imperial fleet became mired in what appeared to be a ship graveyard, with millions of ships all chained together by strong chains, and it was here that the Red Corsairs once again attacked. Uh, so during that subsequent attack, Gulliman himself battled um, Kairos Fateweaver as well, uh, but the Lord of Change revealed that he had been slowly seeding doubt into the Primarch's mind since he had arrived in the Maelstrom, and suddenly Gulliman found himself trapped by chains of psychic crystal that were formed from his own self-doubt, and he was effectively at the he was at Fateweaver's mercy. Uh, so Fateweaver ordered the other Imperials to surrender themselves to ca captivity, or else he would slay the Primarch. Uh, most did. Those that didn't were all in, you know, slain, in, slain in turn. But uh, you know, Gorman and the other survivors were taken into custody by uh, Kairos Fateweaver. Um, Fateweaver himself didn't want to kill them. He, he figured that he would have some use for them at some point in the future. You know, as, as, Zinch how, does. as Zinch does, you know. Never, never, give it, never give up your hand as such. Uh, so he actually moved them to a Blackstone Fortress, which had previously been gifted by Abaddon to Huron Blackheart uh, after the camp uh, Gothic campaign. Um, that whole thing didn't sit very well with other forces of chaos. Uh, so shortly thereafter, a Cornate army appeared uh, under the command of the Bloodthirster Scarbrand, and they attacked the Blackstone Fortress, you know, looking to try and kill the Imperial prisoners within, basically put, putting the Zinchian forces against the Cornate forces in a battle. Yeah. It was at this point in time, during the battle, that a group managed to sneak aboard the fortress. This group was the Fallen Dark Angels under the command of Cypher. So, uh, <laughs> no one really knows. I mean, I've been confused myself as to which side Cypher is really on. If you look at the war game, like, you can play on either side, but every bit of text I've read about Cypher, like in terms of stories and that sort of thing, and what books, has always sort of placed him on the Imperial side. Yeah. So, kinda. sorry? Kinda. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, yeah. mostly. Yeah, I mean, he purported to be the voice of the Emperor for some time, for example, as well, so. Yeah. But he turned up and the, the former able, oh, sorry, and he was also supported by the Harlequin Salandri Sil Valwalker, uh, who'd been the one actually sending the visions and whispers to the, uh, to the Crusade fleet while they were stuck in the Maelstrom. So, the infiltrators were able to free the prisoners. Uh, they fled together towards the webway portal through which they'd arrived, commandeering multiple Red Corsairs vehicles as they went. Um, the forces of Chaos realised what was going on, so they put aside their differences to turn both their forces against um, the fleeing Imperials, and basically at the end it came to Scarbrand standing in the way of Gulliman's escape. So Marshal Amorick uh, from the Black Templars sacrificed himself in combat against Scarbrand to give Gulliman the upper hand, a chance to actually destroy the bloodthirster, which he did, and uh, the survivors then fled through the webway. Uh, it was at this point that Gulliman himself realised that the whole affair had likely been orchestrated by Magnus. His original plan was to take the webway directly to Terra, but he realised that Magnus, Magnus could send his force of Thousand Sons through, 
and they'd be able to reach Terra if they couldn't close the webway in time. So instead, he directed Val Walker to open the webway onto the moon instead onto Luna. Uh, and thus, the uh, Imperial forces arrived there. And of course, before they had a chance to close the portal, Thousand Suns forces appeared through the um, through the through the webway portal, and along with Magnus, and the battle was once again joined. So, Gulliman and, and uh, Magnus battled each other. Uh, Magnus was clearly the upper hand, and I will say, looking at the war game stats, I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, it was Magnus' psychic powers that basically gave him the edge in battle, yeah. and um, it looked like he was going to defeat Gulliman. Uh, except that in the time that they bought by arriving on the moon first, reinforcements arrived from Battlefleet Solar, from the Imperial Fists, from the Sisters of Silence, um, and the Adeptus Custodes. Uh, they all arrived, and importantly, the, the presence of the Sisters of Silence significantly weakened Magnus's psychic powers. Not not completely diminished, but weakened. Yeah. Um, and in his weakened state, Gulen was able to drive the Emperor's sword through his back, delivering what would be Normally a mortal wound, but of course to a demon prince, nothing is ever truly mortal. Um, and that forced Magnus and his thousand sons to flee back through the portal, uh, which Val Walker was then able to seal. Yeah. Um, that gave Gulliman a clear path to terror, although the, his fallen allies, including Cypher, were immediately arrested by the Adeptus Custodes. And I believe that their fate is currently... Undecided. Un- undecided. Unknown undecided yet, while they... Work out, you know. Clearly, they did a very good thing here for us. Um, and, and of course, you know, upon returning to to Terra, um, Gulliman went through the Eternity Gate to see see the Emperor. And uh, no one really knows what transpired there. But when Gulliman emerged several days later, he declared that he would lead the Imperium now. And, and just as the Emperor had. Uh, once led the Great Crusade to restore all the Imperial worlds that had been separated by the Age of Strife, Gulliman would now lead the Indominus Crusade to reclaim all the Imperial worlds that were separated by the Great Rift. So, that's the end of Part 2. Yeah. Was that all known to you, Mike? Anything that you were... I mean, last time it was really the Eldar stuff, you weren't that... Not I didn't that, not know that much about the Maelstrom stuff. Okay, no worries. Are, are you familiar with Kairos Fateweaver as a... Yeah. Okay, so. He's a special character, right, uh, Lord of Change. Yeah. He was originally the... Uh, let me see if I can remember my lore correctly. He was originally the greatest of the um, Lords of Change. Yep. And apparently in the middle of the warp, there's a great vortex which controls all past, present and future. And Zinch wanted to know what was on the other side, but he was scared that even he would be destroyed by going in it. Okay. So he grabbed his greatest of uh, Lords of Change, and he threw him in instead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to see what he would find out. Yeah, so he, he's described as a as a, a, an oracle. Impossibly ancient-looking Lord of Change. Yeah. With two heads. Yeah. And um, he knows the, the past, present, and future, but he's insane. Yeah, okay, no worries. So, it, it's sort of like, I, I could, couldn't tell from reading the source material whether his declaration that the Ultramarines would be lost in the Maelstrom was him reading the future where they were lost, or like him cursing their future so that because he said it, so it would be as such. You know, so, because... Yeah, a bit of both, I Yeah, because it, it's clear he has oracular ability. I mean, that, that's yeah. really his, that's his whole shtick. That's his whole shtick, yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, you're, you're familiar with who Scarbrand is? Oh, he's dead now, apparently. Well, I suppose, once again, Demon Prince is never truly dead. So well, no. no, he's not Demon Prince. He's 
he was. He's not my bloodthirster. He's bloodthirster. He was the most powerful of bloodthirsters. Yeah. Um, again, the most powerful of. <laughs> and Zinch managed to trick him to, to make him angrier and angrier and angrier until eventually he actually attacked Corn himself. Okay. And. He did nothing to Corn, yeah. but Corn was so angry about being attacked by one of his own, he grabbed him and he threw him through, the, through time and space, yeah. which burnt his wings off. And when he crash landed, he was Scarbrand. He had no personality of any kind other than pure anger. Okay. Unlike other bloodthirsters, which apparently <laughs> have a personality. Pure anger and one or two hobbies. Yes. <laughs> pure anger and a love for basket weaving. <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah, see, I'm not that, I'm not that familiar with some of these these sort of key chaos forces and such, you know. Although I will say that, um, so I've got a small Harlequin army, yeah. uh, just just from what I bought when I bought uh, Death Mask and such, you know. But they can still be used in my Inari army now, you know. And I've been trying to work out how I want to actually um, how I want to paint them, yeah, because yeah, that, that that default paint, which the default style, which is the black um, uh, hollow suits with the checkered. Uh, light blue and pink, or light blue and purple sort of ones. But I've actually been looking through. I, thought, I might actually go and do use the the troop that Savandri uh, Fate Walker is from, you know, because it, it ties in, I think, nicely with the Inari because of yeah. Savandri's involvement in the whole um, thing with the Incarn and and uh, Anaid and God, the Vysark and Ivrain. Here we go. All those, all those. Lovely name. Yeah, that's clear, clearly somebody went to the end of the alphabet and said, we've got too many, you know, we've got Commissar, you know, Kane, we've got, you know, all, all these, <laughs> all these, and that's why we've got now codes like Grandmaster Voldus and, you know, Ivrain and Nah, I personally, I think and, someone just went, you know what, we need to name these characters and they just head bucket the keyboard. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a head desk moment, is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, that one was a bit shorter than I actually thought it would be. But, uh, I, I probably could have fitted in the next part of the numbers we say, but I haven't got notes for it, so I'm not going to dive in and do it right now. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned before, we are on a time frame. So, why don't we put this aside for now? We've, we've done our new section, which was quite long. We've done this section. Um, let's get a show in under an hour. We'll move on to doing our, uh, our community section. Okay. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. Okay, so at this point in the show, we normally talk about any contact we've had from our listeners, any new reviews or, or new comments, and the first one I want to mention quickly is, I think we mentioned it during the last episode, that we were contacted again by Rob Lowe, one of our regular listeners and, and people who's contributed to the show in the past, for example, the old plot hooks of Wargear section. Um, so Robert was involved in a project uh, called The Return to Thower, which was a uh, very nicely produced, uh, was a very nicely produced uh, module for Dark Harry 2nd Edition, which picks up where Forgotten Gods has left off. So it's been very well put together. It's in the same format as the FFG-style games. Very verbose, a 38-page booklet. Uh, and he was looking for somewhere to host it. Uh, so I said that we could, and I've double-checked with uh, the... Uh, with, I basically spoke to the guys over at Ulysses, who are the current license holders, to make sure it's okay to host this without infringing any copyright. And they said, provided it's not being sold, that's all good. So by the time this episode goes up online, there will be a link to download that through our webpage as well, which will also post on the Facebook. Post on the Facebook. So if you are still playing Dark Age Second Edition and you are doing or have done Forgotten Gods, then yeah, make sure you download, download and pick it up. They've gone through a lot of hard work to produce a very professional-looking product yeah. that uh, really does pick up where that eventually left off as well. It gives you a sort of an additional sense of closure over that too, uh, and he does certainly acknowledge all the hard work of of Tim Cox and the other writers and, and artists behind 
the uh, Forgotten Gods that, that helped them sort of come up with these ideas as well. So yeah. really glad that we helped to support that. And um, yeah, really hopeful that everything is above board and I have checked with as many people as I possibly could to make sure it's all okay. Yeah. Uh, now also, we did get uh, one other comment that we had. We had a couple of other contacts from people. We had, uh, let's have a look. Um, ah, yes, yeah, so uh, Ben Sten uh, got in contact with us as well and let me know that uh, the 40K audiobooks, which you know that I'm a big fan of, have also recently found their way to Audible now as well. So if not for Audible, Audible is a online audiobook service where you basically sign up and I believe you sort of loan books. Like by having a membership, you can read or listen to so many audiobooks a month. Uh, and I know that from memory, if you sign up for Audible as well, you get one free book as a sort of a trial run as well before you commit to paying into Audible too. So, yeah, I'm now up to, I'm about halfway through Flight of the Eisenstein, going through my uh, Horus Heresy audiobooks again. Yep. Uh, I, I found it funny that from the first three books, so we're talking here, um, Horus Rising, uh, False Gods, and Galaxy in Flames were all read by one um, voice actor, and they've got a different voice actor for Flight of the Eisenstein. So it's funny hearing some of those characters... With a different voice. Yeah, yeah, and not just with a whole different mannerism. Yeah, same lines, because there are some scenes in Flight of the Eisenstein and Galaxy in Flames that directly correlate. Like, literally, in one of those scenes, it's, in one book you're seeing the conversation from one character's side, in the other book you're seeing it from the other character's side. So the, the dialogue is identical. It's the thoughts that are going around the different... But of course, in this case, the dialogue's identical, but the mannerism in which it spoke is completely different between one book and the other, which I find quite funny. Given, especially given that in one book it's a very stoic marine voice and the other book, when the guy's reading it, almost sounds like he's petrified. So... Fair enough. <laughs> interesting. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I certainly recommend it. And so if you do use Audible, then make sure you keep an eye for 40K books. Otherwise, I'll say it again, check out the Black Library app on the, the, uh, on the iTunes store now as well. I'm guessing also on Google Play. I, I can't, once again, I can't better promote the new painting app from GW as well. That is so good. Yeah. Uh, I've been working through doing my elder art at the moment and just getting ideas out of the new free painting app. And, and it's led me to buy a lot of paints too. So it, it, if, if that was their job, then job job done because I've bought a whole bunch of paints, probably in the realm of about 40 paints since getting that app as well. So yeah. um, and I'm doing a lot, lot more paint than I used to now. I'm getting better about doing things in a more... Consistent? Well, consistent, but also production line format like I'm very much a paint one miniature at a time thing you know I'm looking over right now on my shelf at my group of five wraith guard one of which is fully painted and based and the other five are still just base coated so as I say this (laughs) but I think I am getting a bit better and um actually I will say so I was watching I've been having a lot of fun watching Duncan Rhodes on YouTube on Warhammer TV with his painting tips and I'm actually thinking about doing some of my guard now because he actually came up with a really nice thing where you just do all the, the their khaki colours in Sandy Dust, you do all of their um, green in the Castle and Green, then you do their face in the Bugman's Glow, and just wash the entire model with Agrax Earthshade. Yeah. And it takes care of all three of those colours, it takes care of the, the shading. It's, you know, it, it, it really does speed up the whole Imperial Guard process, especially if you're doing production yeah. lines as well. So, yeah, I mean, you're doing all paint too, aren't you now, Mike, as well? Yeah, 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 you have corn at the moment. Painting some corn stuff. So lots of red then? Lots of lots of red. Lots of <laughs> different types of red and lots of different types of brass. Okay, no worries. Brass and gold, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, at this point in time, if everything goes according to plan, I'll get to play a thousand, against a thousand Sun Army tomorrow night. I was supposed to be going tomorrow to do a um, 
uh, an apocalypse game, uh, yeah. a four thousand point aside apocalypse game. Uh, but that fell through today, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but fingers crossed, I'll get to play a two thousand point game against Thousand Suns tomorrow night. So looking yeah. forward to that. Should go well. Anyway, we're off topic. If you do want to contact the show to have your say or just to note off about about forty k. Uh, you can contact us through our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. Our web page is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Uh, our Twitter account is at grimdartpodcast, and our email is show at grimdartpodcast.com. Keep an eye on the Wrath and Glory, uh, both the social media pages and their main page. I believe there will be another designer diary coming up from Ross in the not too distant future, yeah. and I'm, you know, as soon as that that first video is up involving me, I'm happy to talk. I'll be I'll be all over the podcast and social media talking about what I can say there as well. So fingers crossed, GW likes everything I said and they don't put the kibosh on me actually getting to <laughs> have my mug up on their website. Oh, okay, that's it. So thank you for listening today. I hope you had a good time. Uh, next episode we will finish off. I promise we will definitely finish off the history of the Dark Imperium next time. And fingers crossed there'll be a lot more to talk about by then as well. Okay. So, hope you enjoyed the show. We will catch you next time. Thank you very much. This podcast is not endorsed by or again with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Music Alley. Music.mibio.com.